Welcome to Questions That Matter, a podcast of the C.S. Lewis Institute. I'm your host, Randy Newman, and today my conversation partner is Dave Moore. I'm really excited to have this time together with Dave. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He's the president and founder of Two Cities Ministries. Uh, He helps Christians think deeply, and he does a number of different things. He's an author. He's written quite a few articles. He's written a couple for us, the C.S. Lewis Institute, and he's just written a book about history, Stuck in the Present, How History Frees and Forms Christians. Dave, welcome to Questions That Matter. Thanks, Randy. Great being with you. So you, uh, I, I, as I have read through this book, you were trying to address a problem. What, what's the problem that you were trying to address? Well, the problem uh, is a couple things, but mainly I'd say in the present moment in America, we have a really bad combination of significant ignorance coupled with significant arrogance. Hmm. So we know less about uh, stuff going on, but we're feeling like we're more beholding to tell people how little we know in very <laughs> animated ways. Uh, we get uh, I, the typical American, this is not anything different, whether you're a Christian or otherwise. Typical American is trying to figure out the present moment via two major uh, quote unquote news feeds. One is social media and the other would be cable news. And neither one of them has a historic sense, neither one of them has good reference points. Uh, It's just a constant bombardment of the latest shock du jour, and that hardly makes it adequate to really assess what's going on in the present. So we're trying to figure out the present mainly, if not exclusively, by present reference points. Doesn't work. You know, you, uh, you have at the very beginning of the book that, that very important quote um, by George Santayana, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Um, I, I almost felt like there should have been like a, a very long pause after that quote and, you know, just like blank white page telling your readers, just stop for a second. Just just try to try to grapple with that. Um, yeah. Now, um, boy, that's that's really disturbing. You said uh, we're we're dealing with uh, ignorance and arrogance. But did I hear you correctly that you're you're not necessarily, or are you saying, is it worse for Christians? Are are Christians worse at this than non Christians, or are we just all in a mess? I think uh, Christians are certainly no better, as far as I can tell. You know, like you, I speak in a lot of different places. I interact with a lot of largely Christian audiences, not exclusively, but largely. Uh, Largely a lot are college graduates, so they're literate. A lot of them, frankly, have graduate degrees, but I find that most of them are not reading serious books, certainly in history, literature, theology, um, and they are animated and agitated by what they're getting in their Facebook ghettos, echo chambers, silos, whatever you want to call them, and by their, uh, you know, cable news of choice, which for the audiences I speak to is largely Fox, but not exclusively. Uh, All, by the way, just so anyone listening to this knows, when we had cable TV, 
I watched all three. It was not an enjoyable experience trying to figure out, ferret out what is the truth. So I would go through MSNBC, CNN, and Fox. Um, but all of them are echo chambers, and uh, all of them kind of speak to their own constituencies. Um, so we've got a, a very significant problem, and we've got resources as Christians, but we're not availing ourselves, sadly, of those really good resources. All right. So, so let, let's turn it in a more positive direction, because your book, I think, is rather positive. You say that I mean, the subtitle of your book is How History Frees and Forms Christians. So let's start with the freeing. How, how does studying, reading, um, valuing the past, how does that free Christians? Well, you know, C.S. Lewis, as you know, uh, well know the essay on the reading of old books. Uh, mm -hmm, can right. on the beginning of... Athanasius is the incarnation and God in the dock also has uh, probably other places, but um, he says that, you know, to really understand the present moment, you have to leave it either by traveling to a very different culture or traveling in time uh, via a book, an old book about a different time. And how it frees us is that, um, like in the modern era, obviously, we're really frenetic and fast-paced and multitasking, and the faster, the more, the better, and we have this view of progress being totally linear and just goes in one direction. The faster we go, the better off we are, and people, a lot of people that are struggling in the modern era may start to have an intuitive sense of like, something seems not quite right about those assumptions of modernity. So they read an older book or they engage, let's say another time, let's say the medieval period, and they read as I did at the very beginning of a, of a classic test, text on medieval history that the average family during that period, if they had a decent loaf of bread and uh, a modest you know, bottle of wine, they offered long prayers to God in gratitude. Now, think about our time, juxtapose that with the way we eat meals. We have this unbelievable abundance, and the faster that we pray, the better, because we can get to the real thing, which is the food. <laughs> um, so it frees us to really see the assumptions and the biases and gives us perspective, which is very much related to how it forms us as well, because it starts to cause us to go, that's not right. I need to maybe be formed by other values. And there's other virtues that were elevated at different times. And speed and all that kind of thing of modernity was certainly not one of them. Um, now, speak a little bit more about how it forms us. So, so yes, it, it, so studying the past frees us so that we can see the current moment in a larger perspective and gain insight. How does it form us? Meaning it it, the, the more we pay attention to history, it makes us in, into different kinds of people. How, speak to that a little bit. How does it form us? Well, a good example maybe would be an example from the 19th century, the way the houses were designed typically, where the hearth um, was the gathering spot. Uh, Andy Crouch talks about this very thing in an article that he did years ago. And then as we moved out of the 19th century 
the hearth became the furnace, which then got put in a garage or away from, mm -hmm. you know, from the home. And other centering places became the gathering spots. You could argue, I think, pretty easily. It wouldn't take much argument. Uh, I've asked people, and they all get the right answer. What is now the centering spot in the family? And they go, the family room, the TV, the game, the video thing, that's the gathering spot. Yeah, yeah. And so you can say, well, how is that forming us? How is the assumption that... Mm gathering spot is now media and nothing wrong with TV and nothing wrong necessarily with video games. It's all an issue of what is that doing to us? And, mm -hmm. you know, you probably saw the piece that Philip Yancey did a couple of years ago where he was talking about here he is, you know, best-selling author of 2025 books used to reading, as he said in the article, very large, uh, you know, books by Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, and others. And he said the last couple of years he's seen in his own life this precipitous drop in his ability to concentrate and sit for long periods of time. Mm. And he chalked it up directly to his, you know, time with email and media and checking out things. Mm. So that's formed him, but it's formed him in bad ways, just mm. like reading a good book or, you know, being able to sit still, which Pascal said is an ancient problem back to the 17th century, man can't sit still in his room. That's a big problem. Um, all these practices form or malform us. So uh, history, I think good history can form us uh, and give us better reference points and give us a stability of spirit that we we're not going to get from video games and, internet chats and all that kind of stuff except with you this this is forming me really well <laughs> <laughs> well hmm uh, uh, good i think um uh so so uh, i should have done my homework and dug in and found out about your academic past i mean i know you have you've studied theology at both uh dallas seminary and trinity evangelical divinity school what was what was your undergrad degree? I don't think I know that. Was it history? It's a, it's a No, actually, I wish I'd done history. I did communication, and mainly the reason was the Christian ministry I was involved with. Uh, a lot of people were switching their majors to communication, and some of the most influential people in that ministry early on were doing that. So I just kind of followed suit, and they were making a case that it's going to be a great you know, major to have as a person going into ministry. And it's true. It, it definitely classes like rhetoric and speech communication were pretty helpful. Uh, if I had to do it again, I would have done history for sure. Okay. But in, for our discussion, this is actually a plus. The fact that you weren't a history major, because I'm, I, I have this fear that some of our listeners will listen to this and they'll say, well, yeah, Dave Moore, sure. He was a history major. That's why he's in history, but you weren't. But you see the value of it. And as a non-officially trained uh, person, you've dug into it. So, so let's point things a little bit in that direction. How, what, what would be your hope of after people read your book and they, they become convinced, yeah, Dave Moore's right. Um, I'm stuck in the present and I need to value more about reading about the past and studying it. How, how do people start or, or where would you point them to? 
to start developing a lifelong um, uh, pursuit of reading history? Well, I appreciate that question because my book really is trying to do two big things. One, it's trying to elevate the importance, the practical importance of study of history for our you know, freedom and formation. But the other thing it's doing, as you know, is giving some strategies of how to learn and how to learn best. So let me answer your question, uh, the nub of it this way, because I think this is most helpful. Most people hearing this, and because I've had this conversation a gazillion times, uh, is they'll say, I would like to start, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm, I don't know much about ancient history. I don't know much about the, the Enlightenment, medieval period, the Reformation. I don't know much about anything. It's just, you know, all kind of a blur to me. Where in the world would I start? Well, I'm a big believer that pedagogically, it is really wise to get the big picture down pretty clearly and go more specific from there. I think a lot of churches really miss it here. Um, when I got my first computer, the graduate student at Stanford that was helping me with it, I told him, I said, look, I know that the keypad mimics the typewriter, same keys, same places. I know that. I know the difference between hardware and software, but I don't want you to assume that I know anything. So from <laughs> up, I want you to build my literacy on the computer. Hmm. Um, in, in the church, and I mentioned the church, I mean, you know this, that, you know, you can be in a good Bible teaching church for 20, 30 years. And I've asked, I've had people ask me, you know, we're singing, I raise my Ebenezer to you, which is a great, as you know, stone of help from Samuel. And, you know, we're singing that, we love it. You know, we sing, we sing Hosanna and hallelujah, and we're dancing to Hosanna and hallelujah. And I could make some serious coin uh, by going around and say, by the way, um, what's the difference between Hosanna and hallelujah? Does it matter? Or the pastor slings out, as you know, uh, Jeremiah is a pre-exilic prophet, and then he launches into his sermon. It's like people are going, wait, pre-exilic? What is that means like before the exile? Is that like, I think this, there's an Assyrian one and there's a Babylonian one. Which one is it? And they're lost, you know, on their phone trying to figure out. They don't have the big picture about a lot of things. And so those more specific connections are not made well. So I would say the place to start for anyone that, say, hasn't studied church history or hasn't studied history is getting a really good survey book. And there's a lot of them uh, on American history, on world history, on church history. Get someone you trust and say, hey, could you tell me an accessible, pretty comprehensive survey of whatever the subject is, you want to kind of get the landscape. That, that's really where to begin. Unfortunately, people go typically, I'm ignorant, I need to study something. So then they get like almost a monograph type book, a very specific book on an aspect of the ancient world. And they're going, oh, no wonder I, I, I never liked history. I can't get it. It's like, huh. hey, you're starting at graduate level hmm. history, start. You know, there's even great, as you know, that there's great books on history that are, you know, for junior high and high school students, you know, mm -hmm. getting it, just kind of put it in a brown bag or something and, and take it around with you, but read it, 
Right. Yeah. Because if you're reading a book that says, you know, the seventh grade primer on world history, you, you know, you don't, you don't want people to see that, you know, and, um, um, but uh, all right. So surveys, I like that. I like that idea. Um, let, let's do a little, let, let's sell other people's books for a moment. I really liked Wilfred McClay's yes. survey of American history, the land right. of hope. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have do you have one on world history that's a good survey that you recommend? Uh, Diane Darst uh, wrote a couple for uh, two volume that are very accessible, cover the waterfront pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, D A R S T Diane Darst, and then uh, oh the uh, uh, Spielvogel's History of the World, more serious but a lot of graphs. Uh, I think it's spelled S-P-I-E-L-V-O-G-E-L. That's very good. Uh, those are helpful. But I agree with you on the American history. Uh, I interviewed Bill on that book. And as you mm-hmm. know, my book, I quote some of that interview and some other things from him. Land of Hope is a great a great introduction to American history. Yeah, I really liked it. And and he's a great writer. So you just, you, you know, you, you pick the book up at first and go, oh, it's like 400 pages, but you can just yeah. breeze through it. It's really well done. Yeah. If you've ever talked to uh, financial planners, they tell you how important, important it is to diversify your portfolio, to have investments in stocks and bonds and different kinds of stocks, growth and value stocks and different kinds of bonds, short-term, medium, long-term bonds. And uh, a friend of mine who does a great deal of uh, consulting for people about finances talks about people also need to have a, a diverse portfolio of their giving, a giving portfolio, and where they give some of the money that God has uh, provided for them to their church, but then also to ministries outside their church, and then within that, a variety of different ministries. So some ministries are very much evangelizing parts of the world where people have never heard the gospel. Some are ministries of mercy, providing food and shelter and clothing for people who need them, and a whole wide range of different kinds of ministries. And I I found that to be fascinating. And I think it's worth looking at our budget and see the side that talks about giving and diversify within that. And probably the, the quadrant or the segment in the chart that needs particular attention are the ones that don't seem the most crucial or pressing in the short run, but in the long run, they're incredibly important, like ministries of discipleship, like what we do at the C.S. Lewis Institute. So uh, we hope you'll prayerfully consider becoming a, a supporter or increasing your financial support of our ministry. Please visit our website, cslewisinstitute.org, and click the button that says donate. We'd love it if you could be a partner with us. You know, um, I want to I want to interject here. There, there's another. There's a very important reason about um, remembering the past, learning from the past history. There, there's the well, two observations. One is, it, isn't it amazing in God's Word, the Bible, how much history there is? I mean, it, it's a whole lot of history. It's narrative retelling of the story of uh, the nation of Israel and the early starting of the church. And so the the very fact that God inspired that kind of a book for us must tell us, oh, 
remembering the past is very important. And there are places all the way through the scriptures that say, like 1 Corinthians 10, these things were written for your instruction. Mm-hmm. But but there's a but there's a a darker problem, and that is, I think, by essence, by by nature, our fallen nature, um, we gravitate toward forgetting. <laughs> I was thinking about Deuteronomy eight, where um, Moses tells us, "When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Be careful that you do not forget." the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increases and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And isn't it amazing how often the prophets and other places in the Old Testament point back to the Exodus. Don't yes. forget you were slaves and God delivered you. You didn't deliver yourself. You'd, you'd still be there as a slave. God did absolute miraculous things with the 10 plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. And, and if you will force yourself to keep remembering those things, it, it can protect you against pride and arrogance, which you said is one of the... Uh, uh, the hallmarks of our time. <laughs> Sorry to yes. say, memory is huge, both in scripture and and in wise people outside. I mean, I think of, you know, in scripture, you got even in the post-exilic period, you know, them retrieving the Exodus to remember God's faithfulness. So, retrieving an event that happened hundreds of years before as a reminder of God is faithful and God will protect them and provide for them. And then one of my favorite books outside the Bible, The Pilgrim's Progress, Hmm. there's a lot about memory in that book. And there's a lot about the dangers of forgetting and memory as Bunyan would say it is the ability to remember what is most important when you need to remember it. So it's not only being able to ferret through all the possible true things, but find the, the, the most significant and be able to have it at the ready right when you need it. You know, the, the organizational guru, David Allen, uh, getting things done and ready for anything. He says, most people don't tend to forget things. They just tend to remember at the wrong time. So you're getting on a plane. <laughs> You're getting on a plane and you turn to your wife and you go, so you gave the keys to the neighbor to let the dog out. And they go, and your spouse says, no, you were supposed to do that. So, you know, you remembered it, but that's not the, the best time to be remembering <laughs> the plane, right? Huh. The memory is huge. And um, there's a very good book on preaching that talks about uh, memorable preaching and kind of retrieves the idea that, memory in a biblical sense is not just mental recall it's it's it involves that but it's more than that meaning that it retrieves an event like the exodus and brings the reality of the exodus into the present moment so it's not just like oh yeah i remember the exodus it's this faraway thing and god did this thing and it was amazing blah 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 and kind of recalling all the elements of the exodus it's actually bringing 
the reality, the exodus into my present life. Mm, mm, very good. Very good. Um, you go after this uh, cliche that, that uh, is, is a very good one, a good statement that um, the past is not the past. That's an important statement that we need to remember. But you have a whole section of why the past is not the past. Can you give us just one, one piece of that answer? Why is the past not the past? And what, what does that even mean? Well, that the, there's a sense in which everything that has happened still is pressing in on us. And it hasn't completely you know, gone away uh, it has bearing on how we're living today. So uh, when we say, oh, you know, like say we're in a difficult relationship with someone and they've asked us for forgiveness and, and maybe we feel like the forgiveness isn't as, uh, or the apology isn't as genuine as it should be. And so they say, why can't you just give it up? You know, let the past, you know, let's be, be bygones, be, be, be bygones type thing. Or, you know, I heard in church work, uh, uh, maybe you've heard this before. I heard this in church work that we would be bringing up. I, many times it would be me. <laughs> I would be bringing up some things that the church had never really properly addressed. And pretty much as a crescendo, uh, you know, chorus of elders, we had a large elder group of about 20, they would almost say to the present, they'd say, Dave, that's the past. Mm. No, forget about it. Mm. That's like, yeah, but the past has bearing on the present moment. And we uh, have yes. adequately, you know, really figured out what is it about our past that we haven't processed in the best possible ways. And so the idea of the past not being past is the past is not irrelevant. It really does press in on us, whether we like it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, it's very much active in the present. Um, but to most Christians, the past is kind of like totally irrelevant. It's why Timothy George says, you know, most Christians don't know anything about the period from the death of Jesus to the birth of their grandmother, you know, it's like there's a little bit of a gap there, you know, <laughs> and it's because it's like, well, it's just past. That's not my life. You know, what, what, what can a non-internet age tell me about the internet age? Nothing, you know, it's past. It's no big deal. Well, you know, um, um, I, I do understand some, just some of that. Well, that's in the past. In that, I mean, the essence of the Christian faith is that our sins are forgiven. Um, and so God has nailed those to the cross. And we do have verses like um, uh, Paul saying, uh, forgetting what lies behind, I press on. And um, so so there, there is that aspect of it, but but that's all wrapped up in the scriptures that tell us to remember the past. So... Um, I, I can understand people just selecting out certain things and, well, that's just the past. But, but like you just said, it, it's that the past does have bearing on the present. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded as we're talking, <laughs> when uh, Mark McGuire, the uh, home run hitting uh, Major League Baseball star, 
um, was accused of uh, taking steroids and uh, that being a very big part of his success in hitting home runs. He appeared before Congress because Congress was investigating as to whether Major League Baseball was just filled with drugs and steroids. And he kept repeating a number of times whenever they asked him, you know, did you take steroids or whatever? He said, well, I'm not here to discuss the past. Uh, I want to look forward. I want to move forward. And you can yeah. see the congressmen's faces just getting frustrated. And finally, one of them says, well, of course you're here to talk about the past. That's what you do at a trial. I mean, <laughs> like, you're not here to talk about the past. Sure you are. That's why we invited you here or demanded that you come here. That's why you're on trial. Right. Um, so <laughs> it's almost the, comical. The Pauline passages you mentioned, those are true for sure. But then we also have to remember that, as you well know, like in the Corinthians, he delineates a bunch of sins, you know, uh, and he says, such were some of you. Mm, he mm, actually mm. brings up their past life. Yes. And he also brings up his own past life in the pastoral epistles when he talks about he's a chief of sinners. Mm -hmm. He's saying, I, I was a murderer. I was zealous. I was doing X, Y, and Z. So it's not like in pressing on the passage, you know, that, that is, is a great and good one and important one, uh, that certainly is not at the absolute exclusion of even Paul retrieving unseemly things about his own sin or the sins of people he's ministering to. Mm, yes. We're really grateful that you are tuning into our podcast. Hope you'll consider uh, looking at our other podcast, Side B, and see the kinds of resources that we provide there. And if these podcasts are helpful for you in your own personal walk with the Lord, please tell others, share about it on social media platforms. Uh, we'd love for the word to get out and for you to give us some good reviews on all those places online where lots and lots of people hear about us. And it does seem to me that a Christian has a, a, um, an alternative to the two common pitfalls. So one would be, I don't care about the past, it's just the past. I'm, I'm thinking about the future and the present. I'm, I'm looking ahead uh, and, and denying the reality of the past. The, the other is to get stuck in the past. Well, you know, I came from a dysfunctional family and that's why I messed up. And that's why I'm always going to be messed up. Um, the Christian can look back at the past at sins they committed or have been done to them and see it in light of the gospel and, and to be able to be set free, again, that word from your subtitle, to be set free from it um, without forgetting it, without negating it. And that's a beautiful place to be of I was this, 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 this. Thanks be to God. That's what that's what I'm set free from. Jesus died to pay the price of that. Amen. And look at what he is currently doing in me. I mean, that may be the ultimate statement of the past has bearing on the present. The past, Jesus's death and resurrection, has powerful uh, bearing on the present in my life, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I I'm mean, preaching now. Whew. Yeah, yeah, no, you're spot on. I mean, so, and, and, you know, as Doreen said to people that, you know, sometimes need to be encouraged a little bit to realize how desperate their situation is to realize how good the news is of the gospel is that 
you know, talk about freedom and, and, you know, lack of shame, knowing that God not only knows what we're most embarrassed by, Hmm. but what I'm most embarrassed by his understanding of my sin is not like that's the bottom of it. You know, we tend to think the most embarrassing thing is the bottom of our sin, whatever we're aware of. Hmm. Yet God is aware of so much more, Hmm. uh, you know, things that, we're just blind to, or he's graciously not showing us that would, de- you know, be even more devastating, but knowing that even with the the worst possible things at the cross, like you said, as Colossians says, that was nailed to the cross and taken away and certificate of debt, as Paul uses there is, is done away with. And so, um, yeah, that's very freeing. And yet, in a very therapeutic age in which we live, which is again, a historical marker, because the way we understand even the gospel as Christians is probably in a lot of times more beholding to Freud and Jung and some others rather than actually the pages of scripture. Hmm. Yeah. Um, There's one statement that I was intrigued with in in your book um, and you're you're quoting, I think, um, you're only intrigued only with one. one. It was only one. The the rest. <laughs> I should have written like a five thousand page book, so you could have said, "Hey, there's ten books. There's ten things I'm really intrigued by." <laughs> this reminds me when I I wrote a book, uh, the book on uh, witnessing to family. I was interviewed by someone, and uh, they said to me, um, "All right, listen. Let let's say someone reads your book, and they only remember one thing. They just if what's the one thing you want them to remember?" And I just said. They only they only remembered one thing. Uh, I, I I wrote a lot of stuff in that book. I mean, they, really, there's only one thing they would remember. And I just I I was giving him a hard time, but there was sort of this moment of, well, no, I, that's not what I meant. But um, so, but um, so there were many things in your book that I really liked. But one statement you said, and I think you're quoting Daniel Levitan, and and uh, um, you said, he said, we're hardwired to name our world. Yep. And, and you said he thinks that because of evolution, you think that because God built it into us. What, right. what does that mean? We're hardwired to name our world. What, what, what's, what's involved there? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that I see, and I, I've mentioned this a lot, is that being designed, being in the image of God, um, God has designed us to be learners, to be curious, to want to figure things out to cultivate and create uh, and cultivate the garden, you know, and, 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 um, and so those types of things move in the direction of a curiosity about the world. It's created by God. So, you know, it's, it's, it's possible to obviously to look at a red rose and go, Oh, the red and the rose is beautiful and just kind of a pedestrian basic understanding. It's another thing to start studying, you know, about roses and learning more about them and that sort of thing. And um, obviously I'm sure there's doctoral dissertations that have been done on them. Um, There's a lot of levels to understanding the world that God has created. And I do think that is innate in how we've been, I mean, think about a kid, a kid is incessantly asking the question of their parents, how does that work that way? Why does that work that way? Mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. peppering their parents with questions mm-hmm. um, to the annoyance of most parents at times, especially when they're 
or they don't have a great answer to it. <laughs> but sure. And if they're tired and don't have a great answer, it's they get the twofer. Um, so, but that's our innate thing that we've been created with. And yet as we get older, we get distracted, we get bored, we get this and that. And our desire to make those connections lessens, which is tragic and sad. And so that curiosity, um, you know, even I, I, I've seen it, Randy, the last 10 years in teaching the Bible to a lot of different groups, I've just found that the kind of questions I'm asked, though I'm sometimes asked very good questions, but the kind of connections, curious connections that people are making are not as good as they used to be. Hmm. Uh, just not as insatiably curious about figuring out, okay, Habakkuk says the Babylonians were both a combination of being ruthless and really strategic in the way they overcame people. That's really clear from Habakkuk too. And so a curious person would go, well, the Bible says that in a very compressed way. It says they're ruthless and talks about this and talks about their strategy. More curious person would go, I'd like to see what, you know, what the strategies were mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. on the Babylonians to find out like what they did that was so much a combination of the cruelty and their cleverness together, which made them so feared. Um, but most people will just hear the Habakkuk thing, even if they're even remotely interested or knowledgeable in Habakkuk and go, wow, yeah, the Habakkuk, you know, is talking about the Babylonians being clever and cruel. That is scary. And that's where it stops. Instead of mm -hmm. like, I wonder, I wonder, and just keep pushing kind of the boundaries there. So good, good. Again, an evolutionist, a psychologist, a great one like Levitin can say, that just seems like it's there. It's, it's, it's a brute fact. And I agree with him. It's there. But of course, his reason, like you said, for it being there is different than mine. Yeah. Well, you know, as, as I read that, I was thinking um, in the Genesis 1 account of God's creation, there's this phrase that keeps repeating of uh, God created this and those after their kind and after their kind and the birds of the air and after their kind and the fish and after their kind and the trees and after their kind, which was just so I think it's calling out for categorization. And, and then you have the story of God bringing all the animals to Adam and he names them. Um, he, he names them. He, he, it, I mean, where this is leading to is that God's going to show him that none of those things were suitable for him and that God is going to cr create woman. But, but it, wasn't, it wasn't just, well, let me bring these by and just answer the question as a yes or no question. You know, is this one suitable? Yes or no? No, 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 no. But, but he names them. He categorizes. And that's part of the task of reading and studying history of let me let me learn these lessons and let me categorize them and put them in the categories and which of these things are most relevant to the current moment what do i what do i need to learn from the period after the civil war and and how that applies to our current moment today and yeah. all those things we we could go on but i'm i'm going to draw this to a close cuz we uh uh, we do that on questions that matter because um, I'd much rather have people say, oh, I wish they could have kept going instead yeah. of, oh, I, uh, aren't they done yet? So um, 
hard. So let's let's close with, but I won't word this as, now Dave, if, if they forgot everything from your book and they only remembered one thing, no, we won't do that. But give us one last sales pitch for the need to uh, read diligently about the past and learn from it. Well, the the burden of the book is to really show as Dr. Hendricks, who I, Howard Hendricks, probably people will recognize that name, Dallas Seminary, I learned Bible study methods for him. from him. He would hold up his Bible and he would say, if this is the only book you know, you'll never know this book. Mm, mm. Even though he privileged, in this Dallas Seminary, holy cow, you know, big Bible land place. Um, so if, if this is the only book you ever know, you'll never know this book. And Hendricks was really trying to make the case, as you said earlier, that the Bible's full of history. It's full of the unfolding of events. And as Mark Nola said, even the incarnation of Jesus shows us that time and space matter, that he comes near. He tabernacles, to use the, the word scripture, he, he, he's with us. And so the unfolding of events. And so I would want Christians to see that that is very much integral to understanding the Christian faith well is Yes, read your Bible first and foremost, but understand uh, that history is really God and God's history and, and what he's doing as far as in his providence and his sovereignty, uh, in control of events, uh, allowing events, however you want to say it theologically, but that he is the author of that and that, that it's significant. He makes it really clear in scripture. Psalm 111 talks about the history of redemption um, if we're acting like that doesn't matter or it's boring, there's something wrong with us, not with the history. Hmm. Well said, well said. Well, Dave Moore, thanks so much for the time on questions that matter to our listeners. Um, I do commend uh, Dave's book, Stuck in the Present. Um, and uh, check out his article uh, on our website. It was about uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, right? Wasn't that the article? And you cleverly titled it, Where's Waldo? <laughs> right. Things we could we could learn from some understanding about his life. Um, uh, if you like this podcast, please tell other people. You know all of those kinds of ways of uh, telling others of where to find our uh, um, podcast. Uh, write a good review of it. We sure would appreciate that. And please do check out our website, cslewisinstitute.org. Uh, avail yourself to the, the different resources there. Our, our goal is that you would pursue discipleship of the heart and mind, loving God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Until next time, um, thanks so much for the time on listening in on